Hello and welcome to Permanently Resident, a podcast about the ups and downs of living abroad. My name is Robin, I'm from Brighton, England, and I live in Richmond, California. I'm Jose, uh, I'm from Simi Valley, California, and I'm living in Tokyo, Japan. So today we're going to talk about first impressions. So we first met in uh, Santa Barbara, California. So what were your first impressions of me? <laughs> of you? Uh, arrogant, that comes to mind. Uh, easily agitated. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of negative adjectives are going to come out here. But yeah, I think you're a smart guy. I think that's, a, that's one of the first things I notice is, you know, he's intelligent. So there, that goes. Well, thank, thank you for using at least one positive adjective. I appreciate it. Good sense of humor. Good sense of humor. Low, mm-hmm. low key, good sense of humor. Low key. Low key. Oh, thank you. That's, that's very kind of you. So I guess I, did, I kind of had this very specific idea of what California was like before I arrived. Yeah. Uh, so you know what the you know what the stereotypes are the, the the old posters with the girls in bikinis, sun and sand and surfer boys, you know. So that you know, I had that kind of image in my mind, and I thought, you know, I obviously knew that was a, a stereotype, but I think I was kind of shocked when I arrived because Santa Barbara and especially University of California, Santa Barbara. Yeah, it is kind of like that, you know. There are people on their longboards going around, lots of hippies, girls running around in their bikinis, you know, all of that sort of stuff that you associate with the stereotype of California. It was there, except except maybe more diverse. Because if you watch any movies made before 1985 or 86, everyone's white pretty much in California. All right, that's true. But I mean, as a British person, I'm not really plugged into the whole uh-huh. racial politics of the United States. So I guess that's something I didn't really think about. And when I arrived in California, I still didn't really think about it that much. I mean, it was yeah. diverse and that wasn't expected or unexpected. It was just that was how it was. right? Okay, I don't really mean from a racial politics standpoint. I just mean like if you're watching any movies over in Britain, like Karate Kid or any classic 80s films or early 90s films, you might, you might get the wrong impression. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just didn't, that wasn't something that ever really registered, but... Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, whether, you know, there, there's a lot of racial diversity, but, you yeah. know, whether the, whether the young students were Mexican-American or black or white, mm-hmm. they were still conforming to that stereotype of you know, going sunbathing every day and playing beer pong and... That beach culture. Yeah. So that's just, that's how it was. And I was kind of shocked that it was actually like that. Okay. So go on then. What were, what were some of your, your impressions when you, when you got on campus? You know, I, I was a shy, I was a shy young boy then. <laughs> when was that, 12 years ago? so i wasn't i wasn't really prepared for for that you know everybody was enthusiastic and loud and friendly and i didn't really know how to deal with that when i first arrived 
Yeah, that I think that really runs counter to your your sense of humor too, because you have this this dry, dark British sense of humor, and I think a lot of uh, Americans or Californians in general might be put off by it, right? But I think what made us friends is, yeah, I just thought it was funny. You th- you thought it was funny when I was struggling socially? Is that what you mean? No, no, I just mean your your style of humor, like you know, self deprecating or. Or even kind of, I guess you would say, taking the piss out of people and stuff. Like, yeah, that's that's right up my alley. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's not like everybody was that kind of, like, uh, surfer, mm-hmm. fit into that surfer stereotype. You know, there were definitely a number of people that I enjoyed spending time with who were Californian and who weren't Californian. Um, but then... I think there was a lot of there were a lot of other things about the United States that I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything's big. Yeah. You know, it takes a long time to get everywhere. The roads are, you know, two hundred meters from one sidewalk to the other sidewalk. Seventy-two ounce uh, drink from the convenience store. <laughs> yeah, get get your big gulp from Seven Eleven for sixty-nine cents. Um, so I kind of knew, you know, I knew about all of those things. It was. I wasn't surprised uh-huh. at seeing them, but still, it was a little bit. It was difficult to get used to them, and you know, still even now, I don't. I don't really enjoy that kind of thing, and it still baffles me. Mm. So, what were some of the besides the people? What What were some of the impressions, or that you got just being on campus, maybe from campus life, that kind of surprised you? I think one of the big ones, and it still surprises me, is the way that America runs its universities like businesses. Oh. Even even University of California, which is run by the state of California, right? So it's it's a publicly owned and publicly run and funded university. Yeah. It's still run by it's still run like a business. And it very much feels like the students are the customers. Um, um, how would that which was a bit pardon? how would that differ from England I think it's a, I think it's a bit more in England it's a little bit more focused on academic development intellectual development mm-hmm. and people are still thinking about getting the degree so they can get a good job but I think people people here in the courses here, it was very much focused on, well, I need to get this, I need to fulfill all of these requirements and do this and that. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just something they had to do. It wasn't, it was, it was a means to an end, right? And the end was getting your degree so you can get a job. Whereas I feel like in the British university system, the learning is an end in itself. And yeah. You know, maybe that's not actually very helpful. Maybe it is more helpful to do things that are really going to prepare you for the, for the job market. But I found that quite jarring when I when I got to the university and started participating and taking classes. I think I really understand what you're saying um, because here in Japan, I think people study the most or really prepare for the university entrance exam test above all else. And as soon as they get in the university, 
it's like academics or uh, high level learning or effort just kind of stops. I mean, may, unless maybe mm -hmm. they're, they're going into engineering or some really specialized thing, if it's just like a general degree, at that point, it's, I got into the university, I'm just gonna do my time, show up to class, get the passing grades and degree, and the degree is gonna have the university name on it, and that's enough, you know? Yep. That's gonna get me into the job market. So it, it's even worse here, I think. So yeah, so that's a kind of like the degree is a commodity, right? Um, it's something that the customers, aka students, they're purchasing that. <laughs> um, so that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I just found that quite a strange way for people to approach their education. Um, okay. Was there anything that was like surprisingly made a surprisingly good impression on you? that maybe you didn't expect? Um, I think, you know, in the long term, mm -hmm. I think this kind of more upbeat attitude and more optimistic attitude about things mm -hmm. has, had a, has had a positive impact on me, but that's taken a long time to, uh, to have an impact. So I think as you, you know, as you saw when you first met me, I was trying to fight that when I, when, you know, when I first started, when we first met, you know, I was being very negative and making a lot of sarcastic jokes and, yeah, you know, not really appreciating it for what it was. The world is gray. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so I think I that's something that I started to appreciate back then, but I think it's taken me a long time to appreciate it more. So what kind of, uh, I guess if someone was going to the States as a foreign exchange student, um, would you have any wisdom to impart on them as they set out? Uh, avoid, <laughs> avoid strange looking Peruvian Americans and you'll be good. <laughs> Just be careful, be careful with people. Uh, I think my big advice, you know, I do. I also do one of my other jobs is teaching mm -hmm. teacher training. So people who want to be English teachers and they, you know, they want to go and live in Korea or Japan or Russia or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, my top piece of advice normally is don't hang out with only international students and especially don't hang out with, um, don't avoid people from your own country, you know? Yeah. You can talk to them, you can socialize with them, you can do stuff with them when you go back to your country. What's the point in leaving your own country just to spend time with other Japanese or Russian or Chinese or English people? What's, you know, it's you're wasting your time. I understand, yeah, for like your language development more than anything, right? That's only one part of it, I think. Uh -huh. the biggest The biggest part of it that I can see is that those expat communities tend to end up being very negative places where yeah. people just complain all of the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like you're it's not always, it's not always true, but most of the time I find that, you know, when, when I spend time with other English people outside of England, it's mainly just people complaining that they can't find a good cup of tea, you know? Um, yeah. And once you've had that conversation five times, you don't want to have it again. I, I agree with you there. It's uh, it can be, if you get into that bubble, 
you know, you definitely can't experience the place you're in and you can't, you know, you need to assimilate to the culture, I think, a bit better. Um, yeah. There's the other extreme, though, the, the people who try so hard to assimilate and they just become like disconnected or kind of, you know, self-hating in their own culture. I, I also see that extreme. Yeah, I've seen that too. So I guess my advice for a Japanese person would be uh, avoid mm-hmm. other Japanese people. <laughs> So don't don't be in your bubble, but don't don't be extreme. Try to try to you know stay stay in the middle, kind of stay grounded. Well, stay in contact with your family, your friends at home. Yeah, you know, keep doing the things that you enjoy from your own culture. Mm-hmm. Sure, but you know, I'm not I'm not going to an English tea room every weekend and going to the English shop that's, uh, that's close by to me to stock up on my shortbread and Marmite. Yeah, the San you know, that's a waste of time. San Francisco British Club. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that sounds horrible to me. They have, they anyway, have, so what, they have the Tokyo so American Club here in Tokyo. I've, I've, oh, wow. I've visited a few times. <laughs> wow, sounds amazing. You can take me when I visit you. Um, they won't let you. Actually, they will let you in. You are American now. Yeah, I'm a true American now. You, you better remember that. Um, so, so what about your first impressions when you got to Japan? What were you expecting, and what did you find? Well, the first time I came to Japan was while I was living in Korea. I took a little vacation to Japan for about a week. Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, nothing nothing so deep, but I just noticed uh, these little odd things to me. And one of, one of these, because, uh, you know, my, my, I guess my idea of Japan is it's crowded, tight spaces, uh, homogeny, right, uh, in race and in culture. And all those things are true, right? So no surprises there, but there were some yeah. surprises. For example, I walked around and there's like no trash cans in Japan. And you just, you have a piece of trash and you're just like stuck walking with it for like 20, 30 minutes and you can't find anywhere to put it, right? And, you know, I, I was just really shocked by it. So I, I researched a little into it. And I guess in, yeah. the, in the 90s, there was a sarin gas attack in the subway. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So ever since that attack, they pulled a lot of the, the trash cans out from public and they just really? never, never brought them back. That's it. So, was that was that was the I thought the I thought the gas attack was in one of the tunnels. Was it in a was it in trash can? No, it was actually on the on the train on a on a subway mm. train in the metro. But you know, it's just their excuse, I guess, or their idea. Mm. So, but you know, Japanese people basically don't litter, and it didn't it didn't increase like people to throw things in the street, right? It just made people. You know, they people are responsible, and they'll just take it all the way home if they have to. What do you do then? You just get very angry that you can't find a trash can. <laughs> it's like this uh, frustration or walking around in desperation. Uh, usually, the the train stations to go to or or a convenience store. Those are the okay. most two likely spots where you could locate a trash can in in desperate times. You just gotta give it to your girlfriend. Let her take care of it. Hold this for a minute. <laughs> I think I pulled that one on you a few times. Uh, yes. <laughs> so and pay I, for this. Pay for this one. That's one you pulled from on me a few times. I'll get. I'll get you next time. 
Yeah, that's awesome, Billy. So another thing is um, there's a lot of vending machines. I mean, I, I don't know how to like put this in the terms where people can actually understand it, but I walk down from my apartment, like just walk around the block. And within that block, there's a, maybe seven vending machines, right? They're literally, yeah. literally everywhere. And uh, actually, Japan has the highest ratio, ratio of vending machines to landmass in the world, over 5.5 million. There's just a ton of vending machines, Robin. They're everywhere. Well, what's, what can you get? I mean, when I think of Japanese vending machines, I think of beer. Uh, have you got one of those close by? You think of beer? Uh, yeah, they're kind of rare. I don't usually see them, but you're right. You could find ones with beer or tobacco, cigarettes. Uh, I think there's there's rumors of a panties panties vending machine. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, uh -huh. my girlfriend was telling me the other day that you can buy there's certain vending machines where you can buy used panties. Yeah, it might be a little bit exaggerated. There might be like two or three in the whole country. I, I have no idea. Um, usually just drinks though, right? And, uh, but could you imagine that? Try to just like picture it in your head. Vending machines everywhere in San Francisco. Every other corner, every alley, every street. Like, what, what would happen? They'd all get vandalized in about 24 hours. Yeah, exactly, right. They'd all get vandalized, they'd all get broken into, all the drinks would be gone, but it doesn't happen here, you know? People people don't mess with them, people don't vandalize them. Um, the crime rate is pretty low here. So that's probably another big reason they, they exist like they do, so. What, um, about, what about social relationships? That's all, that would be something that would, might, you know, if I was gonna move to not just Japan, but maybe an East Asian country. Mm -hmm. I'd be a little concerned about, you know, how do I navigate this new social environment? So what was your, what was your first impression about that? Um, the social environment? I just... Yeah, just like different expectations, different levels of formality, different degrees of directness. Yeah, I just... I just think you always like we might have mentioned this before when you're a foreigner you don't you don't get held to the, the same standard so you can you probably get away with not being so formal or probably not mm. you can probably get away with you know doing a little faux pas here and there cultural faux pas um i just think if you're friendly and you make an effort you can get along but there's a huge difference in getting along for a, a one week vacation or a, you know, a couple weeks vacation and living here, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, if you're living here, you're, you're definitely gonna have to start, you know, understanding the, the cultural norms or you'll definitely stick out, right? Like if you're the guy on the escalator who's, who's just standing, but you're, on, you're standing on the right side and not standing on the left side and you're blocking the, the traffic because the right side is for people who want to walk up the escalator, you know, you're, you're already going to be a negatively affecting society in your small way, right? So, yeah, I guess, I guess another thing when I came that shocked me was like how much of a, a cash society Japan still is too, right? Mm -hmm. um, I told you this story last week. I was, I was walking around, saw McDonald's a bit hungry. 
Um, yeah, American eating, eating McDonald's in Japan. I, I got it. <laughs> and I, I tried to pay with my credit card and I couldn't. It was like, it was like shocking. Like what? I can't use a credit card in McDonald's, a multinational corporation. You don't want to take my money. <laughs> so, you know, things have improved definitely, but you know, it's not like Korea or China where they're going like cashless, right? Well, yeah, I mean, in China, you can pay for, you can pay for everything on WeChat, right? Like, literally anything. Like, even if you're buying, like, some piece of garbage souvenir from a street vendor, mm -hmm. they're still going to accept WeChat, you know? It's like, you can, you can pay with WeChat for, for anything. Yeah, and the government knows it, too, <laughs> what, what you're buying <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly right. And, um... I just think physical money in Japan is still important. Um, people are sympathetic to small business owners. Um, it's really not that slow. Like, actually, I feel like getting paying with a credit card takes more time usually. You just give your money mm -hmm. to the cashier, they're quick. Like, of course, it's faster if you could just do it with your phone or some commuter pass. But definitely, yeah. cash is faster than, than credit cards, I feel. And so... So did with your first impressions then, did you have like a honeymoon period where you thought everything was absolutely amazing or did you not really have that? Um, I just, I just thought it was odd or different. I, I never, I never thought it's amazing or wonderful like that. Mm. Um, th there was a, I guess drinking in public was quite the novelty when I first came. Because, you know, California is pretty strict about that, right? Yeah, it's pretty strict, yeah. Yeah, like, but in Japan, like, you know, if you really wanted to, you can open up a beer on the train. I mean, you might get, like, a few death stares, you know? <laughs> but legally, you're fine, right? So you can, you can do that, or you could drink in the park, you know, have a picnic. I think even yeah. in California, can you take beers to the park? Uh, if it's a city park, not normally, but if it's a, if it's a state park or, you know, like wilderness area or whatever, I mean, people don't care. They just do it anyway. Right. Yeah. Especially, guess, especially in San Francisco. I guess my, my honeymoon period, as you put it, would just be with, with people and everyone seeming so interesting and, uh, kind and smiling and those, those mm. things at first and you know it, it hasn't changed much i think i think uh in general you still i still feel a lot of the politeness of course and the kindness but what i saw over time is uh making close relationships or getting to know or those deeper relationships um that that was always still challenging i think in, in Japan. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's a similarity then with the United States and Japan. Obviously the styles are completely different, but there's this kind of facade, right? In Japan, it's this, you know, unbelievable level of politeness mm -hmm. that maybe think, maybe makes you think that you, you know, the person that you're dealing with is more interested in you or likes you more than you think. And, you know, California, as you know, has this, you know, some people might describe it as fakeness, but just kind of over-enthusiastic. Right? 
exactly so people will say that and they won't mean it so you know both have a sort of social facade and then breaking through that can be quite difficult i think it sounds like in both places yeah it's an interesting point in in their own ways uh the facade is definitely different but to make a long-term or deep relationships is is still a challenge do you think there's any country where where making those deep bonds is is easier i mean it always takes time to to create deeper bonds but i think i think there are places where it's easier you know i mean maybe you can comment about peru but you know i definitely found like in in mexico it's it seemed like there was a more obvious path you still got to put in the time you still got to put in the effort but it's like yeah okay so these are the steps we need to take you know okay we enjoy each other's spending time with each other so we just socialize more and we socialize more and then we build the friendship and it was i feel like here it's a little bit of a mystery how you go from being an acquaintance to being a friend like there doesn't ever seem to be any real obvious path to do that i think in japan that the path is usually connected to uh the school or like grade school high school university or then in the company these are the people you would meet and these are the people who would end up maybe get close to or be your friends so yeah usually i guess they'd come from your childhood or from your university days so if you're out of that circle i think the path is a bit more complex or a bit tougher how about yeah in the u.s what what would you say the, the usual path is in the u.s well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think, I don't, it doesn't seem to me like there is an obvious path. It seems like you're an acquaintance and then you've got to kind of, there's a big, there's a big gap between being an acquaintance and being a friend. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to kind of make that jump. Whereas I do feel like, you know, especially in Mexico, when I lived there, mm-hmm. it was more obvious about how you'd go from being an acquaintance to having a friendship with somebody you know like as i again I'm not, you know it's not i'm not going to say it's so easy but yeah you just you like someone you enjoy spending time with them so you just spend more time with them but it's always difficult here to go from oh i enjoyed having a conversation with you to actually spending more time with with somebody and i think that's partly because work work and life are so clearly divided here Mm. Um, I think that's the big problem. Yeah, that's true. In the in the states, people don't usually, you know, they usually want to separate their work colleagues and their actual friends, right? Yeah, exactly. So, well, here, here anyway, mix, right? Yeah. Anyway, I feel like we strayed quite a long way from our original topic of first impressions. <laughs> <laughs> that's a deeper topic for for another yeah. friendship, friendship and relationships, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Tune in for our next episode soon. All right, everyone. See you next time.